Luke chapter 6. This is the word of Almighty God. Christ preaching says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for our Savior, our great prophet Jesus Christ, who speaks in this way to us, that we might grow. And we pray that we would grow here with humble hearts, before the words of Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen. It's a sad reality in the church through the centuries, not just today, that we often confuse bad character traits with good character traits. We often will use the same word for something that God requires or desires from us as we use for a tainted, pathetic mockery of it. Satan loves that. He loves to present something to us that the scripture commends, but twist it in such a way that it's a distortion and and doesn't really reflect the good character trait. You've probably experienced this with interacting with people. Um, not trying to get you to think of people right now, but but just think of how easy it is when it's not yourself you're looking at to spot the difference between a a false humility and a true humility. You've met those people, right? They're so desperate to inform you how meek and lowly and unimportant they really are 
that you become very quickly convinced they think very highly of themselves. That's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said anyway about false meekness. This man was trying so hard to convince them, oh, I'm not an important person. I'm just a deacon in the church. I'm the guy who gets, I don't know, water for the pulpit. I'm a very unimportant person. And Lloyd-Jones said, within five minutes, I was convinced he felt he was the most important person in the world. You've, you've met that, right? It, it's called humility or meekness, but it's not. It's a tainted, perverted, false reality. You can think of leadership this way too, can't you? There, there's a vast difference between manipulation and leadership. There's a vast difference between bullying and leadership. And we know that. Although there are bullies and there are manipulative people who think they are good leaders and want you to think of them as good leaders. And it's a vast, it's a vast difference indeed. I, I was reflecting on, you know, sometimes uh, at business conferences that, you know, someone's promoting a book on leadership or I have a couple of different uncles both sides of the family who are, are big into leadership and occasionally since they know I like history they'll recommend a book on leadership and it's always something like the biography of Teddy Roosevelt or the biography of Abraham Lincoln or the biography it's never been you should really read this biography of Joseph Stalin if you want to know about leadership despite the fact that Stalin thought himself probably quite a good leader he had a lot of people under him Right? So we know the difference when we spot these things in others. Sadly, sometimes we don't spot these perverted, fake versions in ourselves. And that's exactly what our text today is about in a specific area. There's a difference between being judgmental and being discerning. One is commanded in Scripture. The other is forbidden in Scripture. And yet sometimes we mistake the two. Sometimes in a discerning way you are called to judge righteously. And sometimes we think we're doing that when really we're just being petty and judgmental. And so we need to know that distinction in our text here today. Christ, in the Sermon on the Plateau that we've been studying this summer teaches us that kingdom citizens are supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to be discerning about ourselves. And we're supposed to be discerning about our teachers and our leaders. And yes, we are also supposed to be discerning about others in general. But this must begin for us to think about discernment. This must begin with rejecting the sinful imitation of discernment, which is a judgmental heart. And that's where Christ begins. Verse 37, and verses 37 and 38 really here, but verse 37 begins, Judge not. Judge not. I think the, the most common abuse of this verse and the most common use of this verse today is the abuse of it, which is to suggest that 
Christians ought to have unqualified, affirming acceptance of everyone, regardless of God's law and regardless of wisdom. Taking this just to mean we are never to judge anything, which is ridiculous, of course, because the people who are most loud in saying don't judge other people necessarily judge other people. That's how that works. There's no human that doesn't either show discernment or judgmentalism. You You have to discern something or judge something. But Christ, by saying judge not, doesn't intend us to take this judge in a generic sense to refer to any form of uh, discernment between one thing and another, any form of decision between good and bad. He is using the word judge here, and you can tell from the context, necessarily, he's using the word judge here to mean judgmental. Judges are called to bring justice and righteousness and fairness in the courtroom. And this requires judging the guilty. We, we saw that to some extent in Proverbs this morning. Leaders are called similarly to judge in the care of those under them and to approve and promote that which is right. Approving that which is right requires discerning what is not right. You you can't do one without judging the other. And all of us in Scripture are called to be discerning, to think on, as Paul puts it in Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. You're supposed to think on that. But to think on those things, you have to discern what aren't those things. You have to discern, judge right from wrong. So Christ is not declaring here, do not judge in any form. Christ wants us to not be judgmental. As I was praying about how we can try to start dissecting in ourselves judgmental from discerning. Uh, I'm going to give a general rule here that I realize isn't always the case, but we have to start somewhere, don't we? And so generally speaking, a judgmental character will be swift to judge and a discerning character will be slow to judge. Not always the case. And the truly discerning sometimes are forced to make split-second decisions. But generally speaking, the desire of the judgmental heart is speed. And the discernment of the wise and righteous slows down. So we could think about that. That the judge, judgmental heart is swift rash and self-righteous swift rash and self-righteous the discerning heart slows down hears both sides of the story and judges only with humility 
in verses 37 and 38, the discerning disciple, therefore, will be one who slows down, is slow to act as a self-appointed judge and jury. The judgmental heart appoints itself as judge over everyone. But the biblically discerning heart is slow to act as a self-appointed judge and jury. I hope we're all thinking of our own hearts. And I know I'm repeating things on purpose this morning. Because judgmentalism is something the world quickly spots in the church. And one of the things that is most frequently uh, leveled as an attack against biblical churches. Some of that is a false accusation. Some of it is true. And so we need to slow down and each discern our own hearts this morning. Are we the discerning kingdom disciple? Those who are swift toward judging others fail. The Proverbs 18.17 test. Actually, a lot of Proverbs you could apply as a test to your own heart, couldn't you? But the Proverbs 18.17 test, we read it together this morning already. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and cross-examines him. By the way, I just inserted cross there. That's the ESV translation. And I think it's a helpful thing. Until the neighbor comes and cross-examines the first witness. But if you don't hear that cross-examination, you, if you're judgmental, immediately decide who's right. Uh, Some of you will remember Andy Selly preached here a number of times, a a number of years back. I I had him down here. He runs uh, with his wife, um, Christian Counseling and Reconciliation, uh, which is a a counseling center in central Vermont. And his approach towards marriage counseling is that he and his wife together sit down with both parts of the the, the the couple. I can just say couple. I don't have to qualify that, right? With the couple together, four of them in a room for the first session to hear what they have to say before his wife meets with the wife or he meets with the husband. Because if they only meet with one part of that couple, the wife first or the husband first, they might might decide and go in in a biased way towards the other towards the spouse. They're trying to approach counseling with a Proverbs 18:17 approach. And I think in less formal ways, we all need to do that every day. How much gossip would you reject if you heard what was said and immediately asked the person who was accused or attacked in the gossip. Is this true? But how often do we hear one side of a story and decide it's the truth without ever hearing the other person's side? 
Well, we need to take seriously in our daily interactions the rule of innocence. I shouldn't have to teach anyone who's been raised in the Western world in the past 500 years what the rule of innocence is, but it's innocent till proven guilty, right? What do we usually do? You're watching the news. Some person is mentioned as having done some crime. What do you already do too often? I hope you don't. What do I already do too often before the judge even gets there? Before there's ever a court trial, I decide that person's already guilty. But Western civilization has emphasized a biblical principle. Here their defense before judging it. Innocent until proven guilty. It puts the weight on the accuser to bring insurmountable evidence not upon the accused. But we so often are judgmental. We don't live like that in daily life. Furthermore, the kingdom citizen should be led by charity in their discernment. And that's why I had us read verse 36. It's the context, isn't it? The context of judge not actually begins in verse 35. Our Father, He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Does that mean that the Father will never judge any because He's kind? No, He he will on the last day send His Son to judge all men, all women, all children with perfect, righteous judgment. And He will condemn and punish the wicked So judge not in God's case doesn't mean no judging. It means a righteous, gracious, and charitable judge. And we need to apply all of that to ourselves. How much more do we need to be charitable when we cannot read the heart and the mind? When unlike our Father in Heaven, we weren't there everywhere he is everywhere present you are not he knows the heart you don't so often we're judgmental by thinking we can read the other party's heart i'm not going to do a lot with verse 38 here let me simply mention that this seems to me a wisdom statement You understand, I hope, how wisdom statements work when you read Proverbs and it says something like, the righteous will know a long life and then you see the most godly person die young. Was the wisdom statement wrong? No, it's a general principle, right? There there are sometimes in Proverbs things that are given as blessings to the person who honors the Lord. 
but it's still worth and it's still our duty to honor the Lord even when we don't get the blessing in this life and only get the blessing in the life to come. But a wisdom statement will tell you there are also benefits sometimes in this life. And often the person who is not judgmental may receive a more gracious hearing from others. The judgmental person, after time, when people get to know their personality, people may be more quick to judge them as well. That's a general rule. It's not always the case, but generally it's true. And that's what verses, the end of verse 38 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 37 and, and then all of 38 are getting at. A general principle that when we're not judgmental, we're more likely to receive graciousness from others. When we forgive others, we're more likely for them to reciprocate. Well, this section, after warning us against being judgmental, then shows us the importance of being discerning. Verses 38, uh, 39 and 40 talk to us about discerning leadership. And there, that very colorful imagery, the blind leading the blind, they're both going to fall into the ditch. These two verses, Christ is seeking to show us discernment. Discernment whether you are a leader, are thinking of being a leader or teacher, or you are a follower. All three categories. That that means everyone here is to have discernment about leadership and about teachers. So first, these two verses teach us and warn us that we should be slow to take on the duty of teacher. We should be slow to take on the duty of teacher. If you are quick into it without discerning your own sight, First, you will hurt yourself and others. The blind leading the blind. James says this more explicitly. James 3.1 My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Sometimes, sometimes a disciple of Christ will, whether it's out of a sense of pride and arrogance, or whether because they're judgmental of others, which isn't necessarily disconnected from pride, want to push themselves into a position of teaching. Uh, I knew a man who's a, who at least was a pastor. I, I haven't kept touch. Um, he informed some of us that he attended seminary to become a pastor. What caused him to realize he was called to be a pastor? Most of us would say that uh, the elders in our churches were encouraging us that we might have those gifts, that there was a a pull in our own hearts, things like that. It's It's a hard question to answer. This man said, well, I didn't like any of the preaching I was hearing, and I thought I can do better than that. He 
he was an okay preacher. Ten years into his ministry, he was. It wasn't heretical. It was okay. I also heard from one of his interns at one point that he basically would take a Ligon Duncan sermon and put it in his own words, which doesn't seem like being a better preacher to me. But the the point being, right, there, there's, there's someone who, because of being judgmental, these sermons aren't any good. And I happen to know the churches he was attending, it wasn't like they were false teaching. It, I, I get they probably weren't the greatest preachers ever, but at least it wasn't unbiblical. And because of that, he entered the ministry. You can, you can see that in every type of work, can't you? Any business you're in, any field you happen to work in, there are the people who want to advance and be in charge and have everyone listen to them, whether they know anything or not. Christ is warning us that as kingdom disciples, we should be different than the world on this point. We should be hesitant and slow and first discern whether God has given us the wisdom and the discernment to teach or to lead in these areas. Or if it happens to be something like in the home where God uh, establishes leadership and you don't always have that opportunity to uh, 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 grow first, that, then there's a responsibility to grow in the midst of it, isn't there? That's one of the reasons that Men's Breakfast, we're reading the book we're reading, isn't it? Because if we're called to something as husbands, then we need to make sure we're not foolish and blind. So... The first thing Christ is showing us here with this parable of the blind leading the blind is that we need to be slow to take on to ourselves this task of leadership. Secondly, in those two verses about leadership, these, le- these verses are showing us, warning us that leaders are to be discerning. Discerning. Remember that the the disciple is not greater than the teacher. Well, that's not just a statement about who might follow you into folly if you're a bad teacher. Remember who's speaking. It's Christ. So if you're a leader, whether that's a leader in the church, a leader in the home, a leader at your workplace, whatever that thing might be, If you're a leader and you're a disciple of Christ, you are not above your teacher. And He is your teacher. And He sent the Holy Spirit to work through the Word to instruct your heart. Your leadership and your teaching must be in subjection to Christ. And that means it should also imitate the teacher. The one who is perfectly trained by the teacher has if that teacher is the perfect teacher, has a reflection. Now is Christ judgmental, harsh, swift, and rude? No, he's not these things. He's not rash, reckless, and rude. He's not short with others. He is merciful to the ungrateful and evil. And so leaders, I'll especially say leaders in this church, we need 
to not not be rude, rash, and reckless in our judgments. And that's not always easy. It's not always easy. So we have to be discerning. And then the third thing that these two verses about leadership are teaching us, they're warning us all, all about the leaders we follow. Because whatever you say about that blind person who is going to be judged with a stricter judgment, says James, because he led blind people into a ditch and over a cliff. Whatever can be said of that, each of us are responsible to not be blind. We're responsible not to recklessly follow without knowing that the other person knows where they're going. We have been given God's word. And especially in our day and age, when, when we're given literacy and an English translation and so many options for that, what excuse can we have for following false teachers? The only thing that can lead to that is rashly following a false teacher without being a people of the word. Remember the Bereans? The Bereans heard Paul, the apostle, preach. And first they went home and opened up their Bibles and read. And then they followed Paul. That's what the Christian ought to be. One who is discerning in who they follow, in whom they follow. Now, that's not an easy thing, is it? Because other than our great Lord Jesus Christ, there is no leader who's perfect. There's no leader who never falls into judgmental or rash or harsh or apathetic or just wrong. And so it takes great discernment with whom we follow. We have to know how to obey and honor leaders that we have when they aren't wise and just. You have to do that if you're in school or if you're in a workplace. With non-Christian leaders, God still calls you to honor and respect. You'll have an employer who is non-Christian and you have to do, to some extent, what they call upon you to do at work. You need discerning to know how to do that in a way that doesn't lead you into sin. And you need discernment. Discernment when they are sinning. Discernment with what to say and what to do so that you glorify God and not follow this leader into a ditch. Same is true if you find yourself disagreeing with the leadership of the church. There are times, and you may be right, and the leadership may be wrong. So you need wisdom and discernment to know how to communicate in a loving and gracious manner to call a brother back from sin. So Christ says, judge not, that is, don't be judgmental. But then he says, judge, judge and discern wisely the leadership, and the teachers you have. And then he also says, discern yourself. Verses 41 through 45, this emphasis, this well-known imagery 
Here's a brother or a sister with a little speck of dust in their eye, maybe an eyelash. You can see the eyelash there on their eye. And you want to go in and help them, but how graphic Christ is. You have a two-by-four sticking out of your eye, (laughs) however that works. But spiritually it works, doesn't it? I appreciate how Dale Ralph Davis phrases this in his commentary because I I think it gets at the distinction between a log or a two-by-four and a speck or an eyelash. Dale Ralph Davis comments, Christ is not saying that we must never assess or critique a fellow disciple, but that we must not fixate on minute errors of others when we've major faults we ourselves have not faced. Minute errors. And as I read that, I thought, that is one of the problems with being judgmental, isn't it? I might have a... I just got a, a bug in my eye. Uh, literally. Uh, but... Uh, uh, the, the distinction, the, the speck Christ is talking about isn't even necessarily a sin. There are, there are things that might be in need of improvement in one's life that isn't a glaring example of sin. But the log, the log is sin. And how quickly when we're being judgmental how, how many trying to think of a generic enough example that's specific enough and I don't have it on paper so maybe I'll leave that lest I make a mistake uh, how easy it is to ignore our own sins maybe maybe you're someone who loses their temper very quickly with others But that person, that person showed up late for church on Sunday, three weeks in a row. I hope hope you see the difference between those two things. The minute error might simply need the encouragement, are you taking worship seriously enough? Or is there something on Sunday mornings you need help with? Maybe you're late because there's something going on in your life. Maybe you have a parent you need to care for before you get to church. Maybe it would help if someone else could help you with that. Something like that. But, but there's the minute error. It may or may not explicitly be a sin. And here I am maybe blowing up at everyone who talks to me. There's the two by four. And I'm trying to get the speck. And of course, Christ, one of Christ's point isn't just the hypocrisy of it but if I have a 2 by 4 sticking out of my, I don't have long enough arms to get the speck out of your eye. I can't do it right. I'm going to hurt you with my 2 by 4 while trying to help you with your eyelash. We need to discern ourselves first and then. But we need to discern ourselves first And so the discerning disciple, remembering that 
general rule I'm encouraging us to use, judgmental versus discerning, is speed. So the discerning disciple is slow to excuse himself. And therein's the problem, isn't it? We are quick to excuse ourselves and slow to excuse others. But the discerning disciple needs to be slow to excuse himself or or herself. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves of what Christ says elsewhere. I need to remind myself daily, you need to remind yourself that where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And we need to remind ourselves that because Christ is informing us that we need to be wary of the fruit that we bear. I think the majority of times I've heard people reference verses 43 through 45, it's defending why they are judging, maybe appropriately, maybe judgmentally, other people. Well, Christ says that we can see by what fruit they bear, what kind of tree they are in their heart. So that's why I get to be the judge for you all. Now listen, there's a place for assessing other people's fruit so that you might help them grow. That's the next point in the sermon, which will be short because I've been making it for a while now. But the first thing we see here is the use of four. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. For follows after something. <coughs> it, it follows after whatever was just said. And what did Jesus just say? Deal with your, your log. So the first thing that Christ is teaching us with verses 43 through 45 is assessing your own fruit. It's one thing to say with our mouths that our hearts belong to Christ. But Christ is saying, if you are continuing in sin, if what comes out of you doesn't match that profession you've made, If everyone else is concerned and you're shrugging off their concern, you need to reassess yourself. That takes humility. What fruit am I bearing? If I were to ask a random person to follow me around for a day, and write a report about my actions towards others at the end of it, what would they write? And would their assessment of my fruit be, this is a good tree? We need to discern ourselves. And then, finally, we need to discern others. The text doesn't just stop with, focus on yourself. And the leaders. 
You can judge the leaders. You can judge yourself. Leave everyone else alone. Live and let live. Agree to disagree. No, Christ says, have you dealt with your log? Are you mortifying the sin that's in you, putting it to death by the grace of the Spirit? Are you crying out to the, to the Holy Spirit to work within you that which is pure and true and righteous? Are you killing the old man and putting on the new man who is in Christ Jesus? Christ says, when you've done that, or when you are in the process of doing that, and continuing to keep an eye that a log isn't reappearing in your own eye, then, then you can help your brother with the speck in his eye. And indeed, Christ, Christ is intending us to understand that you should. Then you will see clearly to help the other. So we do need discernment with one another. But it's a discernment that starts with self-examination. And when we're starting with self-examination, we will be slower to nitpick. Because that's a lot of us being judgmental as well, isn't it? Nitpicking. Part of judging others is knowing, and I'm especially talking as disciples here with other disciples of Christ, is knowing the difference knowing the difference between that which is clearly commanded and that which is more vague. Sometimes we turn things that are perhaps appropriate even for ourselves as a rule into a new command for other people. Um, I think a few weeks ago in Men's Breakfast, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer attended worship every week in a tuxedo. And when asked about that, he would say, if I was going to your wedding or your child's wedding out of respect for you, this is what I'd wear. How can I show less respect to God? Now, that's not a commanded thing in Scripture, is it? But was it a good thing that Francis Schaeffer was doing? Yes, because there was a conviction in his own heart. This is the way I can best reverence or set myself into a, an attitude of reverence for God as I go into worship. He never turned to the, to the people who were living, and he had a lot of young people, some former hippies, living at Labrie with him, he never once said to them, put on a tux. He never once looked at one of these, some of them were showing up, you know, jeans and a, a button shirt, which at that point was not as normal as it is now. And he never, as far as I have heard, looked at one of those people and said, you're sinning by showing up for worship like that. But we can all imagine how easy that would be to do, can't we? We don't discern the difference between thou shalt not lie. 
and whatever the thing I'm convicted of that is a good thing for me to help me keep God's laws but isn't commanded in Scripture. That's how the Pharisees came up with hundreds of commandments to tell you how to keep the Ten Commandments. We need that discernment with each other. There might be a place, not not saying this to anyone in this room, not saying I feel like I need to do this anytime soon, but there could be a place where you as a believer, just sticking with the Francis Schaeffer example, might need to talk to someone about, you know, you might want to think about dressing differently for worship. There might be a place for that. But it can never be held by us on the same level as, you shall have no other gods before me. Do we have the discernment to make those distinctions? Now, I picked an example I know none of you cares about. I did that on purpose. But here at Christ Church and in every congregation, there is division at times over being judgmental with others on issues that are not blatantly, directly sins. And some of those divisions happen in situations where it might still have been a good conversation if done discerningly. Deal with your own sins first and with charity going to the other person and remembering that it's not necessarily a sin on their their part. And even when it is sometimes a sin on their part, if it's not a clearly stated sin in Scripture, we need to slow down and understand the way the Holy Spirit works and seek to persuade Persuade rather than judge. There's a benefit in me sometimes saying, I, I don't think so-and-so is, is living in the most godly fashion in this area of their life. But, but if I just tell them, you're sinning in that area of your life, it's less beneficial to them And to me, as a sinner who needs to be humble myself, than having conversations and seeking to persuade. Discernment persuades. Judgmental informs. And we need to be very cautious with the distinction. Well, gone long enough on all of this. Are you discerning? The Reformation, there was a a phrase used. It's not 100% certain who first wrote it, but it became famous in the Reformation. In a day when they were doing a lot of discerning judging in the church over right and wrong according to the scriptures. But this was the phrase which has been called the watchword of Christian peacemakers. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, Liberty in all things, charity. Can that be said of your heart, your mind? Can that be said of our congregation? 
See, that shouldn't only be the watchword for Christian peacemakers. It should be the motto of every discerning kingdom citizen. Where scripture is clear, unity. Where there is more vagueness and less clarity, liberty. But in both, gracious charity. May God make us that church. Let's pray.